0: Now, although this is The Back Pain Podcast, we do like to delve into other areas. After all, people with back pain do occasionally have other problems too. So after a poll on our back pain support group, one of the most common problems that was mentioned was knee pain. So we decided to reach out to the go-to person on all things knees. So I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Robertson, aka Claire Patella. Claire is a knee specialist, physiotherapist, researcher and lecturer working from the Wimbledon clinics in Wimbledon, London. Today we chat about patellofemoral knee pain, what it is, how to tell if you have it and what you can do about it. Now as you know we also love myth busting on the show so in the latter half of the episode we do touch on the biggest myths that we hear in the clinic about knee pain. Including why do my knees creak and crack and will running and squatting wear up my knees and so much more. As a reminder if you are enjoying these or know someone who needs to hear this information whether that's a friend or a family member with back pain or knee problems or a patient you're treating with back pain or knee issues, please share it with them. It really helps us out. So without further ado, I'll let you sit back and enjoy the brilliant Claire Robertson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Pain Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Claire Robertson, aka Claire Patella. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure having you here.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much for the invite. Looking forward to it.
0: So today we're actually discussing knees on the back pain podcast. You know we like to diverge um, left and right into all sorts of all sorts of different topics, and we're discussing one of the most common reasons for knee pain, and that is a condition called patellofemoral pain syndrome. And Claire is one of the experts on this topic. So Claire, can you kick us off by telling us exactly what actually is patellofemoral pain syndrome?
1: Sure. Well, it's talking about the kneecap, the patella, uh, and pain arising from the kneecap. Is it? Uh, rests on the bottom of the femur the thigh bone and it's an umbrella term really so people get patellofemoral pain for different reasons so we'll see it right through from early teenagers uh, so you know 13 14 year olds right through to people in their 80s it can happen at all different uh, ages for different reasons
0: Fantastic. So what are the key kind of signs and symptoms of it that someone might kind of turn up with in the clinic or present with at home?
1: Sure. Well, one of the first things is that there's very rarely um, a moment of injury. So it just creeps on. Um, so, uh, you know, they haven't had a fall, a bang, a twist. It's just something that sort of started to appear. Um, it's typically pain that's a slightly vague distribution. So they can't necessarily put their finger exactly on the spot. It's sort of roughly round the front or the sides of the knee and not an exact position and can even move around. And the typical things that would aggravate would be stairs is a classic, can be up, can be down, Um, often walking downhill, much more than walking on the flats, pain, crouching, kneeling, pain, getting out of a chair. They would be the hallmarks of patellofemoral pain.
0: So you describe it as this umbrella term. So it's it's not one, one thing that causes it that you can always put your finger on and say, you know, it's your kneecap or it's your, you know, your your knee bow, you know, whatever it is. You know, you can't put your finger on exactly one structure that causes the pain.
1: That's right. And I think that's something that's quite difficult for people to get their head around often. Um, and with research showing this, when something just creeps on like this, it's really hard to conceptualize, well, why has this happened? Why has it happened to me? I've got the same pair of knees as last year and now they're hurting. And so I think that's very typical of patella femoral pain. And that's where I. although people say, how can you just do that? Don't you get bored? I say no, because I put my detective hat on and work out what's going wrong. And it can be so different for different people.
0: Exactly. And, and it keep, keeps interesting and it keeps you at the top, top of your game. So what are some of the structures that will that can lead to the pain? You know, Are you able to identify some of the things which you know, are responsible for, for making it hurt and making the, or causing the pain? Sorry.
1: Yeah. So I often describe it as a pressure problem. So people love to think about damage, but actually very often in patellofemoral pain, it's not really about damage. It's just about high points of pressure. And I think actually patients find that quite helpful because it's less alarming to think about pressure. And if we can alter that pressure distribution, then it means we can alter how the knee feels. So the pressure distribution will be altered because of some muscles maybe being tight, pulling the patella in certain positions, or some muscles being weak, allowing the patella to drift into certain positions, or it might actually be that it's more around the hip or more round the foot that's allowing the limb to sort of spin in. So classically, if someone bends their knees, for example, and their knees come together and touch, that type of movement pattern would create quite high pressure in the uh, under the patella. So you can have a pristine patella, but if you do that movement repeatedly, you're still gonna um, create high pressure, which can, in some people, create pain. So that would be pain from the um, the bone in the joint from the pressure. We also know that if you sort of create like a twisting force through the joint, you might also get pain from the surrounding soft tissues. And the analogy I give patients sometimes, I give, show them my hand and I say, right, I don't have a hand injury, but if I stretch my fingers back and hold it all day, my hand would hurt. And that's because the soft tissues aren't designed to do that. And so I think it can be the, uh, the joint itself, can be the soft tissues, and there's other funny little structures like um, the fat pad that sits under the kneecap that can also get bashed and get sore if the kneecap isn't quite positioning it where we want it to be.
0: So does it almost like, you know, you said that repeated movement when you're squatting or bending the knee and moving, does it rub? Does it, is it like a friction type um, injury where it then gets a bit inflamed and a bit sore?
1: I would think, I would think rather than rubbing, I think about it like a high pressure. So, um, you know, think about like a stiletto heel on a floor versus a, a, a bigger sole shoe. So it's that high point that really drives the pressure up, I think is the best way to view it. There are some patients who are very bendy and often the patients are quite aware of that already. You know, their thumbs do funny things and maybe they've had a shoulder dislocation in the past, that kind of thing. And they can have very mobile kneecaps, which at the worst end of the spectrum may dislocate. But there's a lot of people who have very mobile kneecaps that don't dislocate and they get these sort of friction type pain. But they'll often say something like, or oh, I feel my kneecap slipping. They'll use words like that that gives you a heads up. And then you get chatting and look at their general mobility and see that they're, they're super bendy. <laughs>
0: this is w- w- one, of the, one of the people that tie themselves up into pretzels for fun and that type of, yeah, the, the yogis. <laughs> so when you have a patient that comes in to see you and they have this kind of, you know, pain around the front of their knee and you, you might start thinking, oh, this, this could likely be a patellofemoral pain syndrome. What do you then kind of start to do? What are there any tests which you know you do regularly or that you know people can you know, do on themselves almost to, to have a think at maybe I might have this?
1: Hmm. Well, I think I probably break it down in my mind to things that are intrinsic to them that might be muscle length, muscle strength, um, their foot position, and things extrinsic, which are like volume of stairs, volume of running. Um, and very often I'm looking. Um, for has any of this changed you know and they might not put two and two together so maybe they've changed work and they're now doing a lot more um stairs or maybe they've changed their job and they're now wearing high heels more or perhaps they've had a baby and they're now crouching down on the floor a lot so are there any things extrinsically that um are sort of risk factors if you like and i think of it like a shopping basket of risk factors what's in the shopping basket and often you can get away with one or two things um so you might get away with doing a few more stairs and not have any pain but if that comes into combination with perhaps the heels and perhaps yeah mum with a new baby sleep deprivation that would be another risk factor in there you know and you start to look at what are the combinations of risk factors um so that would be the first thing looking at their lifestyle, really, and then intrinsic to them, yeah. So have they had a sudden change in their exercise profile that inherently would affect things? And certainly this year with lockdown, I've my clinics have changed completely. I've got people at both ends of the spectrum. I've got people who were normally going to the gym regularly, then the gym was shut, and they they didn't do any exercise, and their strength and conditioning really dropped off, and then he started hurting. Or the other end of the spectrum, people are on lockdown thinking, right, I'm going to get fit and started running every day when they've gone from being a non-runner. And so then they got often quite tight and also had this sudden massive load they weren't used to. So it's looking at what perhaps has driven a change in the profile of that person, whether it is intrinsic to them or extrinsic load
0: so that's really assuring for a lot of patients because often you get a lot of people and we're going to come on to kind of myths a bit later but who have taken up squatting or running or any cycling any exercise and they might start getting some knee pain and people often get quite worried about knee pain because their you know father or grandfather may have had or, or grandmother grandmother uh, mother may have had a, a knee replacement and or maybe been diagnosed with arthritis in their knees and then often you can think that it's causing some damage Was actually when you look back to the the change in your lifestyle and that's very similar to it um, so many different other kind of injuries which we've spoken about before on the show that it's that lifestyle factors and the you know I love your your shopping basket analogy when you when you add in the sleep and the diet and the stress and the, all the other things that people don't often correlate with their kind of you know sporting injury um, so that should give people some confidence to and, and some self tools to have a think about at home you know
1: Yeah, I think that's right and generally with respect to exercise unless you're very very used to it. I would always say, try and avoid exactly the same load two days in a row. So it's okay to exercise two days in a row, but try and mix it up what you're doing. So, and in terms of patellofemoral pain, I guess probably the worst thing is downhill running. That is the thing that really is really stressful. So if you want to run and you want to run and your knees are being a little bit niggly, you know, yeah, cut out the downhills.
0: I can uh, I can attest to that as someone who has a new baby got woken up at four o 'clock this morning and has also recently taken up running i can uh, i 'm at the worst end of the spectrum i 'm probably going to be giving you a call at some point in the uh, in, in the future so you spoke about the you know the people that are then hypermobile that it can kind of it, that kneecap is a, is very mobile and moves around a bit. You also mentioned a few muscles that firstly get weak and then some other muscles that might be a bit tight. Can you talk about two of those so you know maybe a muscle that is commonly really really short or and and needs a bit of work and then also some muscles that are often quite weak
1: yeah well interestingly actually I think one muscle that's uh, that's neglected often is the calf and I think calf tightness is a real problem in patellofemoral pain and actually there's more research now to show this and if you've got a tight calf it means that when you're walking along your heel peels up quicker and throws the weight forwards onto the front of the knee so onto the patellofemoral joint And um, I have an interesting observation that working in Wimbledon, we get tons of dog walkers that walk a lot on the common. And so maybe they're doing two one hour walks a day, which across a week, across a month, across a year is actually really clocking the mileage up. But they never stretch, wouldn't cross their mind to stretch. And they often come in with these really tight calves. Um, So I would say, and that's a really easy win to stretch your calves out, you know, I say people just stretch them out when you're brushing your teeth, just build it into the day and get in a habit that when you come in from your dog walk, you you know, you uh, have the habit of stretching out your calves. It's only, you know, three lots of 20 seconds. Don't make a big deal of it. Just, you know, a minute's worth can make that calf more supple. So I think that's a very helpful thing to do. And then in terms of strength, obviously we've got issues around balance in the quadriceps. So that's the muscles on the front of the thigh. And um, certainly when people have had a lot of pain and or swelling for whatever reason, they often lose muscle mass on the inner quad, which can lead to drift of the patella. Uh, And so perhaps when I'm looking and chatting to patients, if they've got that history where perhaps they had a fall, and they haven't injured themselves per se, but their knee was really sore afterwards. That would be a classic sort of way into that muscle, sort of slightly shutting down and going sleepy on them. And then they lose the muscle and um, that's a sort of natural anchor to your kneecap. So that's something that um, with that kind of history, or sometimes someone's had surgery for something else, say um, uh, an arthroscopy, a keyhole procedure for something completely different. And that side of things is fine. But the pain and swelling from the surgery has knocked off their quadriceps a little bit, They've gone sleepy on them, and then the next thing they've got patellofemoral pain.
0: So building up the strength in those quadriceps is vital for, you know, as for anyone with any knee operation or any knee problems, but even more so to reduce the risk of them having kind of patellofemoral pain kind of further down the line.
1: I would say though, that um, I don't recommend people doing lots of re- repetitive, painful quadriceps exercises. And as a rough guide to people, I say, look, if you're doing an exercise and it's a bit of mild discomfort, say up to a three out of 10, and it's settled within an hour afterwards, carry on, don't worry about it. But if there's any pain, it's just sort of, ooh, that's sore, or it's going on into the evening, into the next day, that's too much. So it's about getting that balance right. So uh, some of my patients come in and they've been told to do, oh, yes, you must get strong. So they've gone off and done lun- loads of squats and lunges and actually have just made everything really, really sore. So there's a balance there. Um, and obviously once you get stronger, you then develop the capacity to do more anyway.
0: No, so it's just kind of a win-win really. It doesn't aggravate it and then it only helps further down the line.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so if someone ha- is, is at home and they've kind of, they've been stretching their calves and they're still having pain and they kind of want to get some treatment for it. Are there treatments which, you know, people like yourself can do to it? Is it all just kind of advice? You know, what are the treatments that work and, and don't work?
1: Um, it is very multifactorial depending on the drivers. So I guess the most important thing is an accurate assessment. First of all, to make sure, is it patellofemoral pain or has anything else been missed? Is it pain referred down from the hip or the back? Um, is there something actually within the knee joint that's been missed? Um, so that's the first point. Is it patellofemoral pain? Working on the presumption that it is. Then an accurate assessment to look at causative factors. So muscle length, muscle strength, movement quality. Some people are really strong on the bed, but then they stand up and they still move badly and they don't use that strength. Looking at lifestyle training patterns um, or you know just how people are, are moving and using their knee um, and then on the basis of that assessment, then you would look to, okay, well, what's my treatment gonna be? And, and normally for me, it's multi-pronged. So education, absolutely, really getting the patient to understand their problems so that then they think, right, okay, yep, I've got a handle on this. So I know like, why I need to do this or this. Um, if they have any swelling, sometimes I might use ice, although a lot of these patients don't have swelling. Um, Tape is something that I use often because sometimes you can use tape just to support the patella or offload some of the tissues that are a bit sore and it doesn't sort out the underlying problem but it gives a window of opportunity where perhaps the knee is more comfortable so then they can do their exercises more effectively. And then you get, you you know, then you're on a positive snowball, really. So I use tape quite a lot. I try and keep the the methodology as simple as possible so that the patients can replicate it. I don't feel they're leaving like a mummy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So And sometimes I might look to use orthotics. That's something in someone's shoe. Uh, If I feel their foot is particularly floppy, say, their arches are collapsing a lot, and they're very aware that their pain is very different in different shoes, that's always a, a good clue. Then they might respond to an orthotic. So it very much depends what I find, but the modalities that I would use generally would be yeah, exercise, movement, education, tape.
0: Good, good to hear. And then is there anything else kind of that, that someone else can offer? You know, Are there any you know, injections or kind of further up than surgical procedures that you know, people that you can refer for in, in more serious cases or someone that isn't responding to more conservative management?
1: Yeah, there are certainly scenarios where I would work with the knee surgeons in my team. So I'll give you a few examples. Sometimes people come in and they've got a very noticeable catch at a very specific angle and it's very consistent. So they say, when I go down the stairs at this point, ooh, it catches and then they're fine. And I ask those patients, is they always at that angle? And if they say yes, particularly if they've got any swelling, then I would, ha- I would probably choose to get them scanned sooner than other patients. And if they have a flap of cartilage shade that's catching at that point, that can be a patient that might respond to... Uh, up keyhole surgery to basically trim off the, that, that flap of cartilage. Similarly, some people don't have a cartilage flap, they have a sort of like a divot, like a little hole. And if the edges of that are a little bit unstable, again, that may respond to surgery. Um, I guess the other groups are people that are dislocating. Um, you know, if it's that they can't even roll over in bed without dislocating, that's a terrible place to find yourself in. And the stabilizing surgery can be good for that. And then the worst end of the patellofemoral arthritic spectrum, there are surgical options there, but that you know the, that's not a common, thankfully, that people need that. Um, in terms of injectables, that's an emerging area, really. I mean, we've got steroid, which is only really helpful if someone's got a hot, warm knee. And if they've got a hot, warm knee, I'm wanting to know why they've got that, because that is not typical with patellofemoral pain. We've then got visco-supplementation, so that's like a sort of oil, uh, also known as Simvisc or Ostenil. We do sometimes use that. I think particularly patients where stiffness is a major feature, it can be useful. And then we've also got PRP, which is where you take some blood out of someone's arm, a bit like a blood test, and it's spun to separate out and inject it back into the joint. Again, for people perhaps with mild to moderate arthritis who certainly have significant symptoms but aren't really bad enough for significant surgery then they may be someone that might respond to prp so we've got a few more tools but i would never think it's physio or injections if someone is pursuing injections and they end up in a better place because of it then i view that as giving a window of opportunity to then do some exercise therapy to give them strength for the long term
0: i'm so glad you said that and because something like an injection is, you know, what I say to my patients is almost like it's a painkiller. You know, it's a painkiller which you know can help reduce your symptoms in the short term to allow you to do more rehab or more kind of lifestyle modifications without flaring it up so bad. And it's often people see that, and that's that's a an injection for any body part. You know, often when they're looking at steroid injection, it, it's it's a it's a, a short term fix to allow you to to do more. And often people think it's that golden golden immediate cure when it's not unfortunately that's really good and i guess the last question then kind of on this is you know what, what is the prognosis like you know so for the majority of people who are who are able to change their lifestyle factors and you know decrease their stress and sleep better and and strengthen is it has it got a good prognosis for for kind of full recovery
1: yeah i think it has i think some people end up with a knee that sort of just grumbles a bit so if they say are kneeling for a while they might feel it But um, what we do know is if you do nothing, it's not self-limiting. In other words, it won't just generally go away. So it is worth taking the efforts to think and being proactive and saying, I'm going to seek out a bit of treatment. Um, And often I say, you know, these sort of, uh, the, uh, the silver lining, if you like, is that patients end up fitter, stronger, better understanding of their knees, their body, and how to take that forwards long-term. So there can be a real silver lining to these situations. That's how I approach it.
0: Good. And that's always going to help everything else then, whether that's your knees, hips, ankles, low back, you know, mental, everything. Good. So now on on this show, we love to ask kind of experts about myths, or big myths that they hear in their industry, whether that's back pain, knee pain, headaches, whatever it might be. So there's a, a lot of myths that get thrown around with knees. And you know, for, we're going to go over a couple of these now and I'd love to kind of hear your opinions on them and you know, and stuff that you kind of you know, tell tell to your patients. So one thing which we hear on a on a daily basis when I give people squats as an exercise is they say, oh, I mustn't squat because squats are damaging for your knees. Can you confirm if that is a true myth or is that is a, a complete load of nonsense?
1: Well, I'm going to sound a bit like I'm sitting on the fence in my arms. <laughs> <laughs> Feel squat. free. The squats and squats. So I would say doing squats, you know, five, six, seven times a week with heavy load into deep range is probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, But, and, and conversely, there are patients who can't do even one conventional squat, but they could do a shallow squat. So I'm always looking for ways in to get people stronger so that we can progress down into a decent squat. But again, it's form, you know? I mean, people do squat really bad form. Um, So it's making sure that you've got enough calf length that you've got, that you know how to squat, you know the the right dosage and the right weight to make it effective, and that you're not doing it on consecutive days, because there's no point in doing it on consecutive days. You need to have that, that break. So I know that sounds like I'm sitting on the ankles. <laughs> so squats per se are not bad for you, but if you do them in the wrong way, let's put it like that, it can yeah. give you adverse effects. How about that?
0: That's perfect. And I guess then may maybe I'm a you're going to hear the same answer again, but is that similar to running because often people assume that running, you know, wears out your knees. You know, I've heard people come into the clinic and say I've got knee pain, but I've been running for 30 years, so that's probably normal. Is that similar, you know, if you're running doing doing it wrong then yeah.
1: I think we know now that wear and tear in the knee is so multifactorial and probably has quite a strong genetic component, which is why you can get some people that have literally run marathons all their life and their knee is fine. And you get other people who have been really quite sedentary with a lot of wear and tear. Um, I think with running, my biggest message to people is, um, yeah, to build up slowly. Don't just run. People love to just run and do nothing else. Try and do some strength and conditioning alongside it understand how to warm up, cool down, um, understand about roots and it, like we talked about before, running downhill, being careful not to do too much of that. But actually one of the worst things that people can do is what I call dabble and that's think, oh, the sun's out, I'll go for a run. And they haven't been for a run for three months because then they have no conditioning to it, no um, conditioning in their muscles, in their joints. And I think that, that's one of the worst things. So I think either be a regular runner but know what you're doing or don't.
0: <laughs> and, and do your exercises around it. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Um, the next one was about creaking and cracking knees. You know, lots of knees creak and crack, and, uh, you know, is what we call crepitus. It, You know, what exactly is that? Is that, you know, is it bone on bone? Is it, you know, is it fluid moving around? You hear all sorts of different things. You know, does it mean my knees have worn out? Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Well,
1: I've done a lot of research and published on this topic. So I... Um, In a nutshell, what the noise is, is one of several things. It can be bubbles of grass releasing, like when people crack their knuckles. It can be a sort of clunk where the kneecaps are sort of almost finding its position and people often feel better after their kneecaps clunked. Or perhaps the one that alarms people the most is a sort of fine grating noise that people might get on the stairs. And that is um, a thing, take the phrase from the engineering world, slipstick, which means simply the noise that arrives when fluid moves through an uneven surface. So if we take the premise that it's normal to have some irregularity, some fluffing up in your cartilage in adulthood, if we take that as normal finding, it's therefore normal to have noise arising from your knee and noise does not equate to harm. It does not equate to arthritis, does not equate to your chances of needing a knee replacement. And I'm very clear to patients to say, you need to separate out pain and noise because they're not the same phenomena. The pain is the abnormality. We're going to work on that. The noise may remain. And I purposely have that conversation at the beginning to set their expectations. Otherwise I find you think, oh yes, they're nice and strong, they're moving well, they did not have any pain, but they still have this sense of, the knee's not quite right, it's still a bit noisy. And they might actually be fear avoidant still, fearful of the noise and avoiding things because of it. So it's really important that that is understood. You shouldn't be changing anything you do and you certainly shouldn't be avoiding physio exercises because when you do them, your knee makes its noise
0: that's reassuring so you know that it's not that bone on bone it's not nothing grinding and breaking and it's perfectly safe to to do an exercise with a bit of a, a funny noise coming from the knee
1: yeah very usefully my knees are very noisy so often i crouch down to look at patients knees and they sort of look at me like you need a knee physio
0: yeah you're the knee specialist specialist to, uh, <laughs> oh,
1: well, there we go it's a really good example of don't worry about it if your knee makes some noise <laughs> I've,
0: I've, i heard you spoke before as well about you you talked about what you know that moving of water on a on a rug or on a carpet compared to on a on a different surface
1: yeah. So the analogy there is, you know, if you poured water on a deep pile carpet, a thick car- pile carpet, the thick carpet is like your thick cartilage that's still there, but the top is slightly fluffed up. And if I poured water on it and rubbed it around, it would make the noise, sort of noise. And that's the slipstick, stick. That's the, um, the friction noise. So it's actually more likely to happen in a funny kind of way when you've got lots of cartilage just with a bit of surface irregularity.
0: Brilliant. So, those are kind of my my two myths, and I'm sure those are ones which you kind of hear on a daily basis. Are there any others, or are those kind of the main ones which you 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 kind of hear?
1: I think they are. I think probably they're the they're the key ones that crop up again and again. To be honest, yeah.
0: Fan- fantastic. So, I think a lot of that take home messages is that you know knees are are strong and they're meant to be moved, and you know if you have some pain, get it checked out. Normal knee pain is a uh, you know normal knees creak and crunch and uh, and if you overdo it as with any any body part then you might get a bit of pain so get it checked out really
1: yeah exactly get it checked out and don't be worried about it don't be alarmed
0: wonderful so that was a, a you know an in depth look at, at patellofemoral pain as well as some busting some myths is there anything else you'd like to add um, to kind of that episode or anything else you'd like to to discuss around patellofemoral pain that you feel that we didn't cover.
1: I think the main thing is that everyone knows someone that's had a knee problem. whether it's, As you said before, a parent or a friend, and everyone has an opinion on you. So be careful. To list People love to be a bit catastrophic. Um, and I think also there's this perhaps this one term that um, is given out sometimes by doctors after imaging, and that's chondromalacia patelli, which basically means fluffing up of the cartilage on the back of your kneecap. And people Google it and get very worried and concerned about it and have this sense of my knees wearing away. And I would just say to anyone that's had that label, chondromalacia patelli, just remember this, cartilage doesn't have any nerve endings. So cartilage is not capable of producing pain. So it may be a clue that your patella is sort of moving perhaps less than optimally, but it is not the source of your pain. View it as a pressure problem instead.
0: Fantastic take home, take home message. So that should give people a lot of confidence to uh, carry on with their exercises and carry on with uh, whatever whatever they enjoy, whether that's walking or running or squatting. Right.
1: Mental health is very important. So don't stop. Especially
0: that you love. Especially in today's uh, in today's topsy turvy society, should we say? so thank you ever so much for joining us i know you're very very busy so uh thank you for taking the time to talk to us um it's been wonderful having you and uh i'm sure we probably will invite you back at some point for another episode uh, to come and chat about something else related to the knee
1: as long as it's the knee
0: <laughs> as long as it's the knee yeah we can come and talk about headaches as well if you want to but uh <laughs> yeah wonderful or take care and hope you have a lovely rest of your day
1: yeah, thanks very much
0: brilliant thanks everyone for listening and catch you on the next episode